You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at University of Illinois at Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. Which digestive health problems are more common in women, and how can physicians better diagnose and treat these conditions in their female patients? Joining us to discuss management and prevention of GI disorders in women is Dr. Debbie Proctor, Professor of Medicine in the Section of Digestive Diseases and Medical Director of the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at Yale University School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. We're glad to have you here today, and let's just go right into the topic. What are some of the more common disorders in women where their presentation or management differs from that in men? There are several that uh, probably a lot of the general public is aware of, and then there's several presentations of common diseases that might occur and present differently in women than in men. Uh, Let's take, for example, gallstones. Gallstone disease is much more common in women than in men. The typical female, 40 years old, and having children is the most common underlying cause of gallstones, the development of gallstones. In fact, number of births, how many times a lady has been pregnant, it determines their risk factor for the development of gallstones. So gallstone disease is much more common in women than in men. It's also more common to present in younger women than in men. The symptoms are oftentimes the same, pain on your right side and the upper part of your belly, some nausea, some vomiting, symptoms such as those. Well, let's try a tricker. What about colon cancer? Colon cancer is equally common in men and women. The interesting thing is about 15 or 20 years ago, I used to be on faculty in North Carolina. So I would go, this was back long before screening colonoscopies were paid for by insurance companies. So I would go out into the very rural parts of North Carolina and do patient awareness as far as colon cancer. And I had many women come up to me and say, well, I can't get colon cancer because I get breast cancer. And I looked at them and I said, that's the wrong answer. Breast cancer does not protect you from getting colon cancer. And in fact, colon cancer is equally as common in men as in women. Now, that being said, there's somewhat of a, of a predilection or more common for women to get right-sided colon cancer. So those are colon cancers the farthest away from where the scope can reach or the beginning of the colon, depending on how you're counting. And that is the, since it's the farthest away from to reach the scope, it's the hardest part to see. And women tend to have a more difficult time having a colonoscopy because studies have shown that women have longer colons than men do. They have colons that are more are located more in their pelvis, so they'll have more twists and turns to them, so it'll be harder to reach the right side. So that being said, women tend to have 
more incomplete colonoscopies or colonoscopies that are where their right side isn't seen, but yet there's some evidence that right-sided colon cancers are a little bit more common in women than men, particularly if someone has had their gallbladder out. And as we were talking just a few minutes ago, women are more likely to have gallstone disease and therefore more likely to have their gallbladders out. So you can see the kind of dilemma that we reach in taking care of women and identifying colon cancers in women, that it's more common in a site that's a little le- that's a little bit more difficult to reach. Let's turn our attention to the fact that women are more likely, obviously, to have hysterectomies. And what is the impact on hysterectomy on colonoscopy success? Well, that is a really good question. And that will make a colonoscopy more difficult for a patient. Any patient who has had abdominal surgery, and it's most evident when the person has had pelvic surgery, and women are more likely to have pelvic surgery than men because, as you mentioned, colon- uh, hysterectomies <clears throat> and also C-sections or other deliveries that women have when they have, they have babies. So having surgery in your pelvis will cause adhesions and tacking down of the colon into the pelvis, making the turns in the colon sharper, more difficult to go around during a colonoscopy, and therefore making a colonoscopy more difficult in a lady patient than in a male patient. Well, let's turn our attention to other disorders, common disorders, GERD. More common or less common in women? That's another good question, and it depends on the population that you're talking about. The common causes for reflux or GERD in patients are you have any intra-abdominal pressure increases, so in other words, if you're pregnant, or if you are heavy, if, you're, if you have some obesity, particularly in your abdomen, if you wear tight clothes, those are the common causes for heartburn and reflux. Most women that are pregnant at some point or another suffer from heartburn and reflux, particularly as they progress into the later stages of their pregnancy. And, you know, women and men both tend to be obese. Obesity is a really rising trend in the United States, and obesity is certainly going to make heartburn and reflux uh, worse symptoms also. Is your approach to treatment any different? Not really. The medicines that work for men will also work for women, we typically, you know, start off with some lifestyle changes. For example, try not to eat late at night. Usually separate the last thing that you eat from going to bed or lying down by about three or four hours. That gives your stomach time to digest the food and get rid of the acid in it. Stay away from coffee, caffeinated beverages. Don't smoke cigarettes. Don't drink alcohol. All of these things make heartburn or reflux worse. So we try lifestyle changes first. Then we might try antacids just over-the-counter, you know, Maalox, Mylanta, et cetera. Then we might next try H2 receptor blockers, which are drugs such as famotidine, ranitidine, cimetidine. And then, of course, for the past 20 years, 15 or 20 years, we've had the very nice proton pump inhibitor classes available with omiprazole being the first one, followed by a whole host of four or five other ones that are also on the market. And a lot of them nowadays are over-the-counter also, so you don't even need a physician prescription to take these medications. And those will work pretty well, and, and they'll work in the vast majority of patients every once in a while you have a patient that just doesn't work in, in which case then there's surgical options. There's, you know, a nice laparoscopic surgery that can be done on the patient. And those are both applicable to uh, women as well as male patients. 
just because men have Barrett's more commonly than women, does that mean we don't need to think about screening for Barrett's in women? Absolutely not. That is a great question. And the women patients should realize that they need to be screened. It is a very, very uncommon occurrence when you look at all the millions of people around the United States and around the world that have heartburn and reflux. Only a very, very small percentage of patients will actually get Barrett's. And as you said, yes, male patients are more likely to get Barrett's than female patients are, but anybody over the age of 40 who has persistent symptoms and is unresponsive to either high-dose H2 receptor blocker therapy or PPI therapy should undergo an upper endoscopy. And the reason we do that is to not only look for Barrett's, but also to evaluate other things that might be going on causing the patient symptoms that are mimicking heartburn or GERD. Now, this one is often taught in medical school as the syndrome in women, is irritable bowel syndrome. This is more common in women, correct? This is definitely more common in women. In Western societies, and we'll get to other societies where the the syndrome is more common in men, but in Western societies, it's more common in women by somewhere around 80% to 20% of male patients will present with irritable bowel syndrome symptoms. So more common in women. Harder to treat in women than men? It is a tough syndrome to treat, and it's particularly tough in women because it's oftentimes there's a constellation of symptoms that are present, and they've been very nicely laid out in several consensus conferences, namely the Rome criteria, Rome 1, 2, and 3. They are where you have, you know, pain, and discomfort, and then you have a series of other things, and that will make the diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome symptoms for you. It's a disease that is present, starts at a young age, and usually when someone's a teenager or in their 20s. It's more common in educated women than otherwise, and there's an association with other symptoms, other diseases that are involved in the what we call the brain-gut axis For example, patients who have irritable bowel syndrome symptoms are also more likely to have diseases or syndromes such as fibromyalgia or just plain tension headaches. And it's thought that certainly there's been a lot of research in recent years, in the past five or ten years, looking at particularly serotonin receptors and the interaction in the brain-gut axis with serotonin. Certainly, patients who have irritable bowel syndrome symptoms have at lesser degrees of colonic distension, they will experience more pain. They will have what's called a visceral hypersensitivity. That's as opposed to a somatic hypersensitivity, which is on the skin, where they they have the same sensation of pain as somebody who doesn't have irritable bowel syndrome symptoms. Also, um, some very nice work has been done by researchers, particularly Dr. Drosman of North Carolina, looking at the psychological um, causes and impact on irritable bowel syndrome and has shown very nicely that patients, that a lot of patients who have underlying histories of abuse, be it verbal, psychological, or even physical, are more likely to have irritable bowel syndrome symptoms. Actually, Dr. Drussman has been a guest on this program, and you can access his podcast at ReachMD.com. 
So let's turn our attention now to endometriosis. Can you briefly just tell us a little bit about its presentation from a GI point of view? That, in, uh, in my opinion, Jay, that is the most difficult diagnosis to make because endometriosis is when cells from the endometrium implant outside of the endometrial cavity. So any place outside of the uterus, that can be in the abdominal cavity, that can be on the outside of the colon, on the outside of the small intestine, on the outside of the liver, any place in the abdominal cavity. And then those cells will cycle, just like the endometrium cycles with a woman's uh, menstrual cycle. So it will bleed, it will slough off, and when the bleeding occurs, the patient will experience uh, pain, oftentimes very intense. And it's to make the diagnosis is probably the best way to make it is laparoscopically. But that's not, as a gastroenterologist, that's not usually at our disposal to do a laparoscopy on a patient. So what we end up doing is doing MRIs or other non-invasive looks at the abdomen. But if the implants are small cells, you might not see them on a CAT scan or an MRI. We also do colonoscopies. And what one will see is, if you're lucky, you actually see the bleeding site, but that's unusual to see it bleeding inside the colon because it's usually an implant on the outside of the colon, so the other side of the colon from where we're looking with the scope, and what you'll see is a bluish discoloration there. So you have to have a very high index of suspicion that the patient has endometriosis and go after it really looking in a non-invasive or radiologic study and then probably colonoscopy next. And then if you still have a high index of suspicion that that's what the patient has, then they need to be referred to a GYN doctor who does laparoscopy and is familiar with the GI presentations of, of endometriosis. I'd like to thank my guest from Yale University School of Medicine, Dr. Debbie Proctor. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA.